Holla, if you hear me. All right, I'm not, I was not going to hear you hollowing, but hey, what's up? I uh, just need to remind you that, hey, our friends over at Mohawk Honda, they are ready to take care of you this spring and beyond. Oh, the temperatures are finally starting to feel like spring. It's it's no longer uh, bipolar out there. 80, 40, 60, 30, like, oh, God, enough of that. But it is the perfect time to get to Mohawk Honda and Scotia Glen. We'll get top dollar for your trade in as they continue their Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. None of this five to seven business days, no one to three business weeks. Screw that shit. You go there with your vehicle. You're going to get top dollar for that trade-in. Same day you go on the lot with that vehicle. That's right. Check in hand the same day. Or or if you're interested in maybe getting, I don't know, say a new vehicle or maybe one of their certified pre-owned used vehicles, that'll work too. They can just take that credit applier right to the vehicle you're getting as the vehicle inventory, both new and certified pre-owned alike, continues to roll into the lot at Mohawk Honda. You can check out all those vehicles that are coming in by just checking out MohawkHonda.com or their social media pages, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc. And don't forget, all their sales and leasing consultants, they're ready to work with you to find the best vehicle for your style, your budget, your lifestyle to make sure you walk away with what is top of mind to you. So visit Mohawk Honda in Scotia Glenville this spring, where they always go out of their way to please you. That being said, salutation snack. <laughs> if you don't know what movie that's from, shame on you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm Brian Katie. That's JJ Alexander. This is episode 49 of White Heat, presented by Godzilla Media and sponsored by our good friends at Mohawk Honda in Scotia Glenville. We're going to have exclusive live on-site analysis of Monday Night <laughs> Raw from Mr. JJ because he was in Hartford for um, for Raw. So we'll obviously get some extra insight on that. But mm -hmm. obviously that comes much later in the show. For now, Mr. Alexander, how are you feeling? Have you recouped from uh, your travels last evening? Yeah. Yeah, for the, yeah, for the most part. It, it was... It was uh... Pretty decent in and out. We got in there early and uh, we got out fairly unscathed. Um, it was actually, I think I was actually caught up in traffic more so when I was at the SmackDown show in December than I was for Raw. Hmm. So it worked out. Interesting. Um, so real quick, just to try to get an idea of, so did you go on your own with the wife? Did you go with uh, our friends, uh, Ring Girl, Shell, and Carol? Like, how did this all work out for you? So, uh, originally I was supposed to go with Joanna, uh, but unfortunately oh. she caught COVID. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that. she stayed home and, uh, the wife had to work and stuff. So she stayed there and Shell and Carol already had tickets on the other side of the arena. And they were, they basically, they went to backlash and stayed in Providence overnight right. and then went to Hartford from there. So I actually, uh, called up a buddy of mine. And said, I got an extra ticket if you want. And he said, sure. So he picked me up and we went. There you go. Yeah. Good shit. I'm glad it all worked out. You didn't waste a ticket in the end. Because that's the worst thing in the world is having an extra ticket and never finding some way to take it. Right. So we have a lot of stuff to get into, including something that just <laughs> exposed itself. Right. Before <laughs> we went to uh, hit the record like button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was... That was completely un unintentional. But <laughs> anyways, um, 
let's just jump right into it. Now, before we get into the banner that I have here that says New Japan Wrestling has a problem, let me just go through quick because they didn't have any real events this past week. Um, but they do have Best of Super Junior starting up this coming Sunday in Japan. That's right. And then they have New Japan Strong doing a pair of events over the weekend. The big Capital Collision show in Washington, D.C. That's this coming Saturday. Um, the big headline matches being uh, mm-hmm. the 60-minute uh, Fatal 4-Way for the U.S. Heavyweight title with Hiroshi Tanahashi defending against Will Ospreay, Juice Robinson, and John Moxley. Um, also, mm-hmm. we have Brody King one-on-one against Minoru Suzuki. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii mm-hmm. taking on Eddie Kingston. And then, I mean, it's in the main event spot, but I don't think this is really going to be the main event, even though Okada is part of the match. Um, but it is a tag team match. Okada and Beretta taking on, help me again, Hikalau. Hikaleo. Hikaleo and Jay White. Yeah. So it might be the main event just because it has Okada and Jay. I am not entirely sure. Mm. We'll see from there. Uh, then the following night in Philly, they're doing a strong taping, um, which will include... That's interesting. Delirious against Daivari. Oh, well, at least Hunter's getting work somewhere. Exactly. Uh, also on the show, a ridiculous 10-man tag I'm not going to get into. Will Osprey's going to go one-on-one against Homicide. Oh, I hope Homicide kills him. Um, oh, I need murder. Murder in that match. Uh, Jeff Cobb is going against Willie Mack one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake something against Brody King. Tor Cross has a match. Um, Tanahashi has a, a non-title match against Chris Dickinson one-on-one, and then Tony Deppin and Minoru Suzuki also have a singles mm-hmm. match on that card. So, um, but the real, the real topic we need to get into regarding New Japan Pro Wrestling has nothing to do with anything. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say it has nothing to do with anything inside the ring. This is completely everything to do with outside the ring. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of tee it up, and if you want to go into greater detail, JJ, and try to explain it, go ahead. But basically, what you shared with me is that Kota Ibushi, who one would argue is probably one of the top three or four mainstay baby faces of the company over the last ten years, mm-hmm. along with Roshi Tanahashi and Okada. That, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, so he's going to social media publicly accusing of New Japan Pro Wrestling trying to exploit him and basically exposing the promotion through screenshotted text messages. Um, the initial tweet that Coda put out said, quote, I'll expose all about the former cheaters and the sexually harassing bosses from the company president's lies to his unreasonable power harassments this time. Get prepared for this. And then he also mentioned... I'm not exactly sure what Tospa. I'm guessing that's like uh, the Japanese television, maybe. Yeah. Um, and TV Asaki, which is the the TV production company that basically exports mm-hmm. the product to like Access TV and all of them, I believe. Um, and then he went on and put out a co- uh, 
few more tweets, it looks like. Um, also had some screenshotted text messages. So basically, it, it, it's essentially a case of, it sounds like, and you can tell me if I'm misinterpreting this at all, um, Kota Ibushi is trying to either just completely get out of his contract or renegotiate it. And essentially, um, New Japan is playing hardball mm-hmm. in a not so very clean. They're they're playing a very dirty game essentially mm-hmm. against yeah. Kota Ibushi. Uh huh. Yeah. Basically, he alluded to like sweatshop type conditions within the company and everything. And the thing is, it's him trying to get out of his contract. If you recall, two no pre COVID, so t- Wrestle Kingdom twenty nineteen. That was when they announced that Ibushi had signed a lifetime contract with New Japan. Right. So he definitely trying to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, you would think that wrestling companies would have... Now, granted, the, the economics of pro wrestling are different than, say, 25 years ago. But you would think hmm. that wrestling companies would have learned from the... How should I put this? The... Uh, the wacky contract that WWE attempted to live up to with Bret Hart all those mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. What was it? It was like a 20 year deal. Yeah. Like escalating like a million to a million and a half or two yep. million a year eventually. Like uh-huh. just absurd shit. And then Vince comes to him with like 18 months and says, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. Because at the time he was still losing the Monday Night Wars in WCW. Yeah. And just economically, it wasn't feasible anymore. Right. It was feasible 18 months prior. But with how far downhill they had fallen exactly. in those 18 months, Vince couldn't live up to honor the contract like that anymore. And that's when he reopened negotiations, and we all know what happened from there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this sounds like – obviously, this sounds like regret or second-guessing on the part of Kota Ibushi. Yeah. At the same time, though, like co- – Here's my thing. I feel like it takes a very, and I'm not saying Kodabushi is not a special talent, yeah. but I feel like it takes a certain amount, it takes just the right talent from Japan to mm-hmm. trans, because I'm assuming he's trying to get out so he can do more US stuff. That's Probably. my assumption. Probably. But to me, it takes a special, the right combination within a Japanese athlete to translate over into success in America. Yeah. My examples, Shinsuke Nakamura mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his English is just good enough where if he, where he, when you mix it with his charisma, he's fine. You don't have to worry about anything. Right. Um, Hideo Itami, Kenta, whatever you want to call him. Too serious for his own good. That yep. didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kushida just recently. Yeah. Didn't really work. I don't like know. Talent, Kushida I don't, I don't, was it, it's it, that that's kind of a gray area because I mean he he could talk. They just didn't really give him the opportunities. Right. It was just a weird timing for him. I feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, J- Japanese talents can be really hit or miss here. Mm-hmm. Like, um. Asuka, yeah, amazing. Kyrie Sane was a little too, yeah, one faceted. I don't yeah. know if that's really the right phrase. No, you're right. Just, um, 
Io Shirai, I don't know why she continues to be, I don't want to say buried per se, but like. Used in her capacity. Yeah. 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 Because I feel like she, if they wanted to, they could make her another Asuka-like level. Absolutely. But she's continuously being held back, I feel like, for some yeah. reason. So it, it, it takes a certain kind of, not just pure athleticism and talent in the ring, it takes some kind of charisma, yeah. which Asuka has, Io Shirai has, Shinsuke has. Mm-hmm. I'm not completely sold that Kota's gonna, Kota Bushi's going to have the same kind of success of that type if he tried leaving New Japan and trying to work full time in America, uh, like I would naturally say AEW just because it's Kenny Omega, it's the Bucks, he already has it in there. But when you have a roster of one thousand three hundred seventy-eight wrestlers, mm-hmm. it's hard to stand out. I think I think WWE would give Coda a chance just because he was received well during the Cruiserweight Classic. Um. Like I, I think they would. I think they'd give him a shot, and he might translate over well. Like there's, Coda. I could see like as far as like the top tier New Japan guys. As far as who would who would transfer well over to a U.S. career in the WWE. I think Coda and Okada could do it. Naito, Tanahashi, not so much. And it's not a knock against them. Well, for starters, I feel like Tanahashi's past that point in his career where he would even entertain that idea right now. Right. Maybe 10 years ago, five, even five years ago, maybe. Yeah. Naito, I think he's just comfortable. Exactly. Like, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like he, he he's, I don't want to say he's necessarily complacent, but he's definitely comfortable. We'll right. put that there. Right. Um. Here's, Here's the only concern I would have if Kota Ibushi does try to pull the trigger on this. We've seen what they've done in NXT, assuming he goes to NXT, which would be my assumption. They at least put him in NXT for a little while and then put him up. Possibly. My only issue with that, if that would be the plan. A-Kid is a tremendous talent. He arrived on TV for two to three weeks and now he's disappeared. Yep. He's nowhere to be found on NXT television. Yep. I hope the same thing doesn't happen to Nathan Frazier because I feel like there's something there. But again, we've only, he's only had one match, so we can't say too right. much yet. WWE has had a way of saying you're talented, but we just don't have anything to do with you. So they we're just going to put you in the corner in NXT UK and just ignore you for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, plus XT UK does have a, a a lineage right now, like uh, was it Miko Satomura, I believe, still the yep. UK Women's Champion. Uh huh. Um, I feel like he he could be a good fit on NXT UK if that's the route they go. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I don't know. It's and he'd very, be a draw over there for their fucking shows, right? So it's just, it's a very complex situation. Obviously, we'll see how things develop in the coming weeks, but New Japan has a big problem on their hands right now. Because mm-hmm. even though he may not be in the main title pictures right now, Kota Ibushi is still Kota Ibushi. Mm-hmm. Like he's, a, he's a big draw for them. And to lose him um, would not be a good look on their end. 
exactly. especially in the manner it seems as if things are going right now. All right. All right. So let's just go over quick to uh, Impact Wrestling. And they had their Under Siege uh, specialty show, I guess. Oh, yeah, Friday. But all the results have been leaked. Right. It was a, a digital special. We'll yeah. Uh, for Impact Plus and their Impact Ultimate Insiders. So on the countdown show, Heath and Rhino win a tag match against Raj Singh and Shira. Okay, lovely. Um, then we had Laredo Kid, Bailey, and Swan in a triple threat. Rich Swan got the victory on that one. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the actual show going on the air, starting with the knockouts tag titles. Uh, or excuse me, it was a, a singles match. My apologies. Uh, Madison Rain against Giselle Shaw. Giselle Shaw gets the win. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pins Madison Rain and I guess one would assume maybe this puts Alicia and Giselle Shaw in the title picture. Probably. Mm. I I know. I look, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me. I'm just saying. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, then we get what was next? Uh backstage interview with the Briscoes, whatever. Chris Saban goes over on Steve Macklin with a pinfall victory. So they didn't this company is so hot and cold and doesn't know what to do with any of their mid-card talent. <laughs> like, just going back to Rebellion even, which is yeah. fairly recent, like two or three weeks ago. Yeah. They're putting Macklin over, what was it, uh, Saban and uh, was it Chris Bay in that match, yeah. I think? Yeah. And then two weeks later, he's losing to Saban one on Like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, just, they're so hot and cold with their mid-card and like, no wonder they're a goddamn mess. Um, well, especially highest... because they're rebuilding because they they some uh, like how many mid card people they've let go. Well, I mean, and we'll touch on that in a second because they did experience a, a they they had a loss and a gain at the same time, which we'll yeah. get to in a second. Um, mm-hmm. but like, I what does it like? You you can lose guys in the midst of everything. Mm-hmm. But if they're not really factoring into anything to begin with, then how big of a loss is it really to the point where you're confused about how, what to do with your remaining talent? Like, Jake, True. something wasn't really doing anything over there. Um, right. They gave him an exhibition title shot, and then he was gone. Right. Like, he wasn't doing anything. Um, oh, who was the other guy that just left recently? There was another guy who just left recently whose name is escaping me. But, like, it should be this hard to figure right. out what direction you want to go. Yeah. It really shouldn't be that hard. Um, Taya Valkyrie successfully retains her AAA women's title over Deanna. Mm-hmm. And then after the match, I believe, give me a second. Yes. After the match, um, when Praz was attacking Valkyrie, uh, Mia Yim makes her return. Yep. Now, Mia Yim, you may recall, was Jade back in the day at Impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's come back under her usual name of Mia Yim. Mm-hmm. Now, talk is right now, it's a short-term contract. Yeah. Only six months, yeah. which would put her right around Bound for Glory. So, um, basically, it, it's essentially a trial run yeah. to see how she likes being back in Impact and where she fits in the picture, considering you have the Knockouts title on Hogan, correct? Yep. Um, you still have Mickey James there. You have De- Deanna there. You have Taya there. 
Um, I think Havoc was getting a title shot on this show, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So you got a lot of moving parts around the women's division right now. Some good, some not so good. So it's going to be interesting to see how she falls into play there. Um, so Mia Yim shows up. Then a backstage interview, Trey Miguel looking to regain the X Division title, which he doesn't. He loses to Ace Austin, who retains the title. Yes. Uh, then we have Honor No More in a 10-man tag against Bullet Club with Honor No More winning. Um, Bennett and Taven hit their uh, double-team move on Carl Anderson to get the victory. And that was, by the way, Honor No More was represented by Edwards, Taven, Bennett, Kenny King, and Vincent. Bullet Club was Jay White, Chris Bay, El Phantasmo, and the Good Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Tasha Steele successfully defends her knockouts title over Havoc. <sighs> and then uh, we have new tag team champions. Pretty much yep. how you predicted. Briscoe's beating Violent by Design mm-hmm. uh, to become new tag team champions, which I'm pretty sure is the only title change we saw that night. Give me yeah. a sec. Um, and then Moose is cutting a promo, and then Sammy Callahan comes out. So Sammy Callahan returns by attacking Moose. Yay! And then to end the night, Josh Alexander successfully defends the Impact World title against Tomohiro Ishii. And that rounds out the night. So we have a return, a debut that's not really a debut, and then we also had a loss. The loss being... Um, after Under Siege, it came out that Willie Mack let his contract expire and he turned down a new deal. Yeah. So Willie Mack is back on the market. Yeah. Um, and like I already mentioned earlier, he's taking some New Japan strong dates. Good on him. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're going to see what happens there with Impact going forward. Yeah. All right. It's time. <laughs> it's time. Grab your torch and pitchforks. Or in the case of JJ, just just grab your notes. Uh, it's time. <laughs> I hope people understand the grab your torch and pitchforks reference. If you watch animated movies like I do, then you know what I mean. Um, that all being said... Let's see what we have here. Okay. Let me know when you're ready, good sir, and I'll get started. Oh, I'm ready. All right. So we start with Dynamite, which opens with Jeff Hardy beating Bobby Fish in an Owen Hart qualifier. And it ends with the Bucks coming out to stare down the Hardys while, and then eventually tending to Bobby Fish, along with Cole and O'Reilly. Because you only need four guys to check on the well-being of one guy after a loss. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, did you have any thoughts on that match overall? Or any pinpointed moments you wanted to get on? Uh, it, it was... Jeff is working at an extremely slow, sloppy pace. It was um, a 40-year-old against a 40-year-old. Exactly. He still hasn't adjusted to a smaller ring, which he's just hurting people with the Swanton now because <laughs> he's landing it flush. That's why. Exactly. Um, fucking. Okay. So the Hardy boys, and it wasn't just the Hardys. It's a lot of people who've been doing this for the tournament are wearing pink and black gear. Y'all need to fucking realize that that was not Owen's thing. 
That was Brett's thing. Owen wore sky blue. And then he wore black and purple. When he was you ain't gonna tell me that. He was doing the black heart. It was a freaking purple heart with flames. And then it was black and yellow when he was with the Nation of Domination. Right. Because like, enough was enough and it was time for a change. That's Exactly. Why. Black and pink was only Owen for that short amount of time when he was feuding with Brett. Right. Because he was making In fun of Brett. In 94. Right. Well, 95. Well, he adopted it in 93 when he, they were trying to team together because they had Survivor Series with the family. And then yep. they tried becoming a tag team after that. And then. Right. Well, we so it was 94. Yeah. So 90. Yeah. Late 93 into 94. Mm-hmm. Um. Then we have a, a we have a clip of a vignette that was posted on Twitter earlier in the day, and then they cut down <laughs> to show one part of on TV. So here, here's what I'm going to do for all of you AEW fanatics. If you want the actual full vignette, go to AEW's Twitter handle and watch the full three and a half minute video because <laughs> it'll fucking make sense if you watch the whole thing. Um, I mean, I. St- to me, it's easier to like the vignette if you watch the whole thing than if you just suffer through the 30 seconds they showed on TV. <laughs> Anyways, so then that leads to um, Combat Club beating Butcher, Bladen, and Helico uh, with Daniel Bryan tapping out Helico. I love how fucking Sockface said something about like Helico is the master of uh, fucking the, air, the aerial assault. And I was like, Helico is the master of doing the job on YouTube. And jumping off the office in Lucha Underground. Right, exactly. I'm trying to remember who the hell that match was against. It was a triple threat, I believe. I just can't remember who the hell it was against. I just remember seeing the clip recently, and it was like, oh, that's a coincidence. He just tapped out on TV. Um, But, like, I have to bring up something. Because we've already we've already bitched about Blackpool Combat Club doing all the separate entrances. Mm-hmm. That it is what it is. I mean, obviously they're they're not going to change that for whatever reason. Here's a, here's what I get. You're trying to establish a certain brand and attitude to Blackpool Combat Club, but you don't have to do that by using the same fucking formula for every single one of their matches. Right. Not every match has to end with the three guys having their three opponents in stomps or elbows mm-hmm. and then turning into submissions. Yep. It doesn't have to be that way every single fucking match. Yet, every match <laughs> six-way melee in the ring mm-hmm. with the three BCC members stomping or or grounding, pounding or, or whatever their opponents, and then they all lock in submissions and the referees watching the legal man get the tap out. Like, dude, that's that's the formula for it's the every same fucking thing. Every six man in AEW ends the same way. It's with the baby faces either all hitting their finishers to win or getting their heat back afterwards and all hitting their finishers after getting screwed. I just, I, I don't know. Anyways, so now we get back to back backstage Tony Shivani interviews. The first one's with Hobbs and Starks, which gets interrupted by Jurassic Express. Mm-hmm. And Jungle Boy says, before we give you a tag title shot, I want an FTW title shot, which Starks says, yeah, sure, whatever. Because, <laughs> you know, reasons. <laughs> uh, then the Tony, the second Tony interview is with Swerve and Keith Lee, which, <laughs> sure. 
then we get uh, Wardlow taking on W. Morrissey. And I will say this. Um, I'm very happy for this gentleman. Because W. Morrissey looked great physically. Which I would say is, you know, which I would assume also means that he's doing well mentally. So all, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that he was shitting on the crowd, the part of the crowd that was chanting for and for wanting Enzo Amore. Yeah, that that did my heart well to see him shit all over that. Yeah. Um, but he still loses, which you know we all know that's we all know that's part of the formula. Right. With uh, sorry, I had to shut my door because somebody's coming in. <laughs> um. That's part. That's part of the AEW formula with the the fucking uh, the uh, what what do we call it? The um, the, the what was it? The uh, the seven labors of MJF. Labors. Thank you. Yeah. I was trying to think of the goddamn word. Labors. Yes. Um. So now that Wardlow won, MJF is willing to give Wardlow a match against him, but he wants to lay out certain stipulations, which he said he'll do. What is now this coming week in Long Island because mm-hmm. it's MJF. Yeah. Then we get I, guess what? I had oh, a no, couple of issues with that match. Go ahead. Um, one, um, <laughs> one was when Wardlow went for that fucking moonsault spot. Like it was that was sloppy as shit. Morrissey was obvi- obviously standing there staring at him, waiting for him to fucking hit it, and then he still overshot him. And God knows if he had landed wrong, he could have blown out his fucking knee, and this whole fucking angle could have been fucked. Correct. So there's no need to do a fucking high spot. Like that. Like if you're gonna if you want to pop a high spot, save it for the fucking blow off. You don't use it in a fucking in, in a in a knockoff match in between. And number two, I think it made more like I know a couple people have already said this online and everything, but I do think it made more seal look weak for him to fucking get pinned after only one power bomb. When everyone else is getting power bombed th- you know, three to five times. One oh, power bomb uh, and he's done. Sure. Yeah. Right. Then we guess, guess what? Guess what's next? Guess what's next? Huh? 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 Guess what's next? Another backstage Tony Schiavone interview. <laughs> uh, this one's with Baker, Jimmy Hader, Tony Storm, Ruby Riot. Because, sure. Um, basically, it was to help set up their match, their tag match on Rampage on Friday that week. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said Tony can't talk because she's high as a kite again. Uh, then we get Tony Schiavone in the ring introducing Hangman Page and then takes the mic and says, fuck off, I'm going to take it from here. Which, we need to stop there because we need to discuss something. So, it appears, I'm saying, it, I'm saying appears because... Because I called it last week. If this is what they were trying to do, it came off like absolute shit. <laughs> it appears that on this this they were in Baltimore, correct? Yes. Okay. It appears that they decided in the city of Baltimore, which is right outside of Virginia where this motherfucker lives. Yep. We're gonna try to make our world champion, Hangman Page, turn heel in a promo against CM Punk. Yep. Now Mm-hmm. You would think hypothetically, well, everybody loves CM Punk. That shouldn't be a problem. Well, number one, nobody ever said the people <laughs> hand feeding the promo to Heyman Page were exactly A plus plus writers. <laughs> Second thing being, Heyman Page being a heel at this point in time in AEW 
is about as believable as the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus. And if you still Winning believe in any of those titles. things, what was that? Winning the trios titles. Yeah. And <laughs> if you believe in any of those things still, uh, and you watch or listen to this podcast, uh, I apologize, but they're fake. Um, I just, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, and it wasn't even done effectively. Like it's, he still had at least half the crowd cheering for him afterwards, and it just, it didn't go. This is what happens like a fart in church. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you try to have the most sympathetic of sympathetic babyface champions for you know, the 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 big fucking the long term two year story arc for fucking Adam Page that wasn't real to get him to win the title. And then fucking, then you put him up against top tier talent right away, like fucking Danielson. And oh fucking, so he looks like a shit fucking champion right from the beginning. And then fucking, it's just hilarious. I called it because because Tony Khan can't very well have a fucking babyface versus babyface fucking title match without some fuckery. So literally. And this is something that I've always I've said in the past about other wrestling companies is I think it's the dumbest thing in the world for someone to flip heel in the middle of a title run. Especially like, OK, maybe if like it's a very long, drawn out couple of year title run, right. but Paige has been champ for. Five months. Yeah, five or six months now. Yeah. 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 Like, there's no point. Like he's been a lame duck champion and just fucking and, and like it was it's 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 Tony Khan having buyer's remorse because it was his plan to make Adam Page the fucking figurehead of his company after like this was their plan all along. It was to put the title on X WWE guys to start out to try to get view to try to get eyes on the product. And once they started getting eyes on the product, he was going to transition it over to Adam Page. But what happened was Adam wasn't ready for it at the time. So they gave it to fucking Kenny because Kenny said, I'm king shit of fuck mountain. And then Kenny held on to it for way too long because Adam Page had to do the whole, I need paternity leave because one day of work a week is too much. And so by the time Adam got the title, no one fucking cared anymore. Because because this was like I said, this was Tony's plan. From I was I was thinking about this over the past couple of days. The whole basis of making Adam Page champion was based on one thing, and that was that the day it was announced that AEW was going to become a company, the top selling fucking uh, the top selling merch seller on ProWrestlingTees.com was Hangman Adam Page, and that's what they based everything on. Brain damage. Mm -hmm. All right. So then we get a backstage promo with Sanjay, Jay Lethal, and uh, Satnam Singh. Really, it was just Dutton Lethal talking. Lethal got to do, gets to do the job to the dude from Blow Up Doll Pro (laughs) on Rampage. (laughs) Wrong, sir. Oh, he didn't do the job? No. Oh, wow. I'm amazed. Um, Then we got, oh, my God. 
I have notes about this next match. Stop uh, coming out one. to Judas. Yep, yep. Fuck off with Judas. That's the <laughs> one note. Number two. You might as well start dressing like Oz or the Grand Wizard at this point, Chris. If you're calling uh-huh. yourself the Wizard, like the Wizard, the Wizard, like with, with Wizard. Kevin Nash for his early '90s wardrobe from WCW. Broad brain. Um, number three, and I think I said this to you while we were while I was watching the show. Yes, you uh, did. I'm gonna start calling him Fatty Matty. <laughs> um, Fatty Matty Menard apparently doesn't know how to create a diversified wardrobe because he wears the same fucking thing every single week it's the same white pants the same white jacket that doesn't fit him it's two sizes too small so he wears it open to show his fucking tan belly <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> shut up don't, don't worry go away go away <laughs> he thinks he's Rick Martell and he's not he's he doesn't dope. have the money for new gear he's spending it all on cocaine to share with Tony Khan because we all know Tony Khan doesn't pay for his own drugs. Ask Big Swole. <laughs> Jericho Appreciation Society. <laughs> for nine weeks straight. The leading force. Sports, sports entertainment. Entertainment. Fuck you. Gafagul. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Menard sounds more like a guinea than Tony D'Angelo. And uh, fucking AJ Gallant. Right. We'll get to that later. Oh, um, so in the end, Jericho beats Santana and they all jump Santana and Ortiz and nobody Kingston because you're not going to have a guy show up a week after he gets a fireball thrown in his face. Wow, something sensical. That's nice. Um. Yeah. I just love how at the end of that shit, like all like everyone gets clonked in the fucking head with a baseball bat, but then is all of a sudden fresh as a daisy ten seconds later. Yeah, whoever said it was a real bat. <laughs> uh then we got Samoa Joe with a pre-tape backstage about how he's coming after Jay Lethal. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh the Gun Club and Billy Gunn. Gift scissors. There's no fucking way somebody in. There's no fucking way an executive hasn't said something at some point about that. Somebody must notice this. Somebody <laughs> in. Please, like, somebody in Warner Media must understand the reference with that. They probably haven't watched it yet. I guarantee the people from Warner Media that have been in put in charge of monitoring this product either haven't caught up to it yet or are sitting there and just skimming through the matches to make sure there's not like some insane, insane amount of blood and guts and that they are not really paying attention to the talking stuff in the background. Oh, Max Caster's going to learn, boy. Oh, oh yeah. There you go. Then we get to probably the worst segment of the entire show. The worst segment of fucking Dynamite ever. So, let me put a (laughs) reference out there before I explain the segment. So, John Harbaugh is the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens NFL Mm -hmm. team. 
he was at the show because oh, that segment. So yes, that's, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he was ringside for more than just that segment. He was they they showed him that, earlier in the show. They kept go during that segment. They the camera kept cutting to him too before Brian Pillman was talking about him. So I was like, why do they keep showing Harbaugh with the graphic? Right. <laughs> Well, that's because when they started this segment, they showed a lower third under John Harbaugh again, but they mm-hmm. also included the phrase and Brian Pillman's college roommate. That's yeah. Right. Um, so they had shown John Harbaugh earlier in the show just as a general fan and recognized him as the Ravens head coach on the lower third. Mm-hmm. Then they come back from commercial break or whatever. Uh, no, did they come out of the gun? I, whatever. They either came back from break or they had just come back right from the claimed and gun club thing. Like they were in the ring. I remember that. So the the blondes and Julia Harder in the ring. And I think it was before Pillman even opened his fucking mouth. They showed John Harbaugh at ringside again uh-huh. with his lower third again, but this time also added the and Brian Pillman's college roommate on the bottom. Oh, see, I missed that. At uh, <laughs> fuck, where did they play? I know he played in for the Bengals, but I don't remember where he played college ball. I want to say it was Miami of Ohio. No, Harbaugh played for the fucking Colts, dude. No, I'm talking about Brian Pillman. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Pillman Sr. My bad. Yeah. Pillman yeah. Sr. I he know played he for played the Bengals. pro ball for the Bengals, but college ball, I want to say. I thought he played for Ohio. I want to say it was Ohio? Miami of Ohio. Right? Yeah, that's in Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm not totally out of, out of bounds on that. Okay. Any hooser. So. He was either that or the Buckeyes. Either or. No. What, no, he didn't. They must uh, have been in Miami of Ohio. Yeah. So. Pillman Jr. is cutting this promo on behalf of the Blondes about, like, uh, I don't fucking know, just being... Stuff. It essentially sounded like we got <laughs> complacent about where we were, and now we're not, and we're going to go out there again. And <laughs> yeah, so he, he made he said this quote that Harbaugh had used before, and just uh, just I I don't fucking know. They kept cutting back between the ring and Harbaugh at ringside, and I don't think Harbaugh knew half the time he was even on camera, and just it was just a fucking mess. So eventually, the half the black comes out, <laughs> attacks the blondes, Malachi corners Julia Hart, hands her a steel chair to attack. I believe it was Pillman. No, it was Griff. It was Griff. Okay. To attack Griff, she hesitates, eventually doesn't hit him with the chair. Then it looks like Brody King, because Brody King needs a fucking chair, that he's going to smash Julia Hart with the chair. <laughs> and then out comes Death Triangle to save the day. Mm-hmm. So here's why the segment was god-awful. Number one, Pillman doing a promo. I love the nope. kid. I love the Philly lineage, but it doesn't fucking work. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm pretty sure that AEW fans had kind of forgotten by now, aside from Julia Hart wearing a fucking eye patch, <laughs> they had kind of just forgotten at this point what the fuck had happened with the blondes to begin with. Oh, but don't you know that there's been they've been referencing this on YouTube like once every three episodes. Number three, your YouTube audiences <laughs> don't translate into your cable TV audiences. No shit. Number four, you want to talk about Every cue of that segment <laughs> moving in slow fucking motion from Pillman getting to where he had to be in the promo for House of Black to come out, mm-hmm. the House of Black getting in the ring, mm-hmm. to Julia Hart taking her cues from Malachi and Brody correctly, mm-hmm. to Death Triangle coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, for God's sake, I could have ran half a marathon before that segment ended properly. Right. 
And, and I'm not exactly the healthiest human being in the world, people. Like, look at right. this. And there and there were so many fucking there were so many fucking parts of it that like the moving parts didn't work. Like so so Brody gives fucking Pillman Jr. the fucking cannonball in the corner, which I obviously bro- which obviously Brody didn't watch the previous match on the monitor because they did one in that exactly match. right. And then you got Griff Garrison there, Griff on his knees begging Julia to not hit him with a chair. Like, dude, you're bigger than her. Like he should have either been on the ground knocked out or he should have been getting held down by fucking black or fucking Brody or held with his arms like against his back or buddy. For her to swing the chair or buddy. Yeah, exactly. Buddy Even buddy too. Instead. He's like, no, Julia don't like, no, a smart guy would have stood up and towered over and went, what are you doing? <laughs> and then she's holding the chair the wrong way. So, you know, that she's not going to make contact. Right. And just, and then just that it was the most uncomfortable looking shit with them putting Julia in the corner and like fucking black, just hulking over her. Like, like that, that, that looks like that looked like a bad rape scenario. Like, no, not look good at all. And what like, is he that, end up doing, by the way, that I totally forgot to mention. What did he do? I forgot. <laughs> he ripped off her eye. Patch. Oh yeah. He ripped off the eye patch. <sighs> And we oh, don't no. even see what the fucking eye looks like, really, because she covers it up the whole. Well, well, you know, eye. considering the fact that when he missed it, or he got the top of her head. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. She, he got the third eye, which affected the right eye. <laughs> no, the left eye. Sorry. The third eye affects the left eye, so the left eye gets hurt like the third the eye. The third eye doesn't affect either of your other eyes. <laughs> the Shut third up. eye affects your throat chakra. Work. Work with me here. <laughs> work with AW Logic, okay? I am music logic. <laughs> anyway, so after that, we get a backstage pre-tape with the baddies and Smart Mark. Red Velvet says she's going to win the Owen tournament. Good for you. <laughs> uh, then Ray Phoenix pins Dante Martin in an Owen Hart qualifier. I turned off. I turned it off. Yeah, I know. Um. Then they revealed the men's Owen Hart bracket. We'll get to the brackets in a moment. <laughs> uh, then we had a backstage promo with Sting and Darby saying it'll be a special night because Darby and Jeff Hardy is going to be one of the first matches. Yeah. Um, it'll be a special night when Darby faces Jeff Hardy in the Owen tournament. Because, right. Um, then we get Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb. Uh, top of the stage segment. They agree to a title match at de- uh, double or nothing. I almost said death before dishonor again. <laughs> I gotta stop abbreviating this D-O-N. Um, then we get the main event, which is Mercedes tapping out Deanna Peraza to become the undisputed Ring of Honor Women's World Champion. Because we all saw that coming. Correct. So basically, within less than a week, Deanna Peraza wrestled for AAA Mexico Impact Wrestling and for Ring of Honor. And did the job in all three of them. Correct. Uh, Rampage. We opened with Tony Storm and Ruby Soho defeating Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter in a tag match. Then we had an Eddie Kingston phone call. <laughs> phone call with air quotes for Jericho to hear on his commentary headset, but not the crowd. Let's have just Jericho and the announcers here. Whatever. Fuck it all. Uh, then we get a pre-tape of Tony Nese and Smart Mark challenging Dan House into a match. Fucking God almighty. Um, then Hook taps out J.D. Drake. 
Danhausen comes out and asks Hook to be in his corner for the Tony Nese match. He even offers Hook a bag of chips with a bow on it as a gift, cause reasons. Um, then FTR does a backstage interview with Lexi Nair. What do you know? A backstage interview doesn't get interrupted for once. <laughs> uh, Riho defeats Yuka Sakazaki in an Owen Hart qualifier. Riho! Sean Spears backstage pre-tape about Wardlow. Calls himself the kryptonite for Wardlow. <laughs> so maybe we get Spears versus Wardlow before Double or Nothing, I guess. Of course what, we do. That's what it felt like. Then we got Lambert Page and Sky doing an in-ring promo. Kazarian comes out to ask about his TNT title shot. Sky says you'll get it next week. Um, then Jungle Boy jumps Ricky Starks a commentary after the commercial break because reasons you got build because he wants that fake belt exactly. Uh, then Jay Lethal beats Blow up Takasuke Takashuka. Yeah, close enough. Um, then best friends come. Oh, okay. Sorry. After the match, Lethal Dutton sing all put the boots to that guy. Mm-hmm. Best friends comes out to try to even the odds. Sotnam Singh is too much for them. And then didn't Simone, pockets try to do the kick kick to him? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That, that didn't do go well. Um, and then Samoa Joe comes down the ramp to, with a lead pipe to try and attack, but security stops him before he can get in the ring. And that's how the show goes off the air. Because security will stop Samoa Joe, but didn't stop the best friends. With a lead pipe. Yeah. You know. Security wasn't even there when fucking best friends came out. Right. Then all of a sudden we had 10 security guards at the bottom of the ramp. Yep. Because, you know. Cocaine. So, I need to come back to New Japan for a hot second. Mm Because New Japan has all the best of Super Junior matches plotted out ahead of time. Throughout the month of May and into early June. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because you have Blackpool Combat Club. Mm-hmm. So this brings up an interesting booking decision coming up for Double or Nothing if you're booking BCC potentially. Mm-hmm. Because Wheeler Yuta's in Best of Super Juniors. Mm-hmm. Now, Wheeler Yuta would obviously have to go to Japan for the next two weeks. So not only it affects BCC being booked for double or nothing, Mm -hmm. that affects their bookings from um, not this coming week, Dynamite, Mm because he's still in town, Mm because the Best Super Juniors doesn't start until this coming Sunday, the 15th of -hmm. May. But it affects them for the next two TVs going into the weekend of double or nothing, as well as double or nothing weekend. And then Depending on how they, I don't see him getting to the finals, but Mm-mm. for precautions, it could potentially affect him for the dynamite um, after uh, double or nothing. Mm-hmm. So look at a scenario where either A, if you really want to be an asshole, you can book Wheeler Yuta potentially. It would just require him to compete that Saturday evening in Japan, which for the US would be Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Have him fly from Japan to Chicago for a U.S. Sunday night show, mm-hmm. and have him fly back to Japan to compete in on a Japan Tuesday night for Best of Super Juniors again. <laughs> or I can see watch, Tony Khan being that stupid, which is why I'm even bringing this up because it's Tony Khan. Or obviously, option B: don't be an asshole and just let him stay in fucking Japan the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um. I would hope they have enough common sense to do option B because 
don't need him for the pay-per-view. Nope. You're not doing anything important with BCC to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, And you see, here's the selling, here, here's the problem with that. Wheeler Yuta is not a selling point for a pay-per-view. However, Moxley and Danielson are, yes. and Tony Khan's too stupid to figure out a way to have them on it without him. Can I throw out a hypothetical, potentially? Sure. Since Yuta technically has a singles title already, how about FTR defend the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles against Moxley and Danielson? <laughs> I know! That's another face-versus-face matchup. I know. I know. Not only but, that, but it's just more ROH title matches on AEW programming. When else are they going to fucking do them? They don't have any TV time. But it's going to happen, bro. What? TV time for Ring of Honor? Yeah, dude. It's oh, gonna, shut the they're fuck gonna, up. They're going to get like shut eight hours up. of programming stop, and a streaming stop, channel. Stop, and, stop, yeah. stop, <laughs> stop. Shut up. Fuck, no. Shut up. God. Anyways, let me show you the Owen Hart brackets, which start this week on television. Um, on the men's bracket, which if you're watching the YouTube video, you can see it. But I will explain it for those doing the audio-only version on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts for your own good. Left-hand side of the bracket, we have Ray Phoenix and Kyle O'Reilly. And then Samoa Joe against the Joker spot, which we don't know yet. Why bother having qualifiers if you're going to have Joker spots? Because they ran out of time. Because they fucked up their timing. Welcome to (laughs) AEW. The right side of the bracket, which are going to be the two matches on Dynamite this week for the quarterfinals. Jeff Hardy against Darby Allin, as well as Adam Cole and Dax Harwood. My assumption... (sighs) Jeff and Cole. I agree on Cole. I'm I'm 50-50 on Hardy and Darby Allen. Because it's Darby Allen. They're not going to have Jeff Hardy do a clean job. Listen, I I would typically agree, but it's still Darby Allen. I don't know what to tell you, man. Woman's side, similar structure. Seven competitors and a joker. On the... uh, On the left-hand side, which is going to be done this week on TV... Uh, Tony Storm against Shaving Hater in one quarterfinal. Dr. Britt Baker DMD against the Joker spot in another quarterfinal. The right side of the bracket, Riho and Ruby Soho, and then Red Velvet and Hikaru Shida. So you have one, two, three. So you have four faces. You have four faces, two heels. Mm -hmm. I consider Britt a tweener just because... Mm-hmm. She never does anything heel enough to be considered a heel, despite what she might do in her promos. And then whoever the fuck the Joker is going to be, which I'd assume is a face, because I don't fucking know. Whatever. Um, so is your brackets. If I had to guess, I have a feeling Cole's going to win the men's tournament. Uh, and then the women's tournament. It's going to be Brett. I think it's going to be Brit versus Sheeta or Brit versus Riho in the final. Riho! But anyways. Um, all right. Now, we need to get to a topic affiliated to AEW. Uh, wrestling ticket resellers. 
And the reason we're bringing this up in relation to AEW is because uh, Mr. Alexander here, uh, he put in some hard work. And I mean it. This, I'm not being a smartass. This is hard work. Um, he went to a bunch of ticket reseller websites trying to gauge the sales from AEW to actual people mm-hmm. versus sales from AEW to robots, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. Um, for the Forbidden Door event coming up in I see, June. June, correct? Yes. Yeah. So come up next month with New Japan. And I'm going to pull up the graphics myself. Now, the, when I say a lot of homework, I wasn't kidding. Like, <laughs> JJ sent me like a dozen different graphics. I'm not going to put them all on here. I'll just kind of put this up here, though, because I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> JJ sent me a meme where when actual bots, quote unquote, sell out your show and you're hoping no one notices the scalper prices. Um, yeah, I just had to share that. But anyways, so I'm taking a look at your research, JJ. You have exactly 11 pictures you sent me, by the way. Um and that was literally just because some of them are just like top and bottom of screenshots from the same site. That was literally just the top five ticket resellers from Google. That's not including every other reselling agency. StubHub. We've got Vivid Seats. We've got Via Gogo. Yep. Tickets on sale. Mm-hmm. SeatGeek. I was about to ask if SeatGeek was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, TickPick. Mm-hmm. Is one of these Ticketmaster? No. Uh, Ticket City, I see that. Oh, Ticket so six. Yep, sorry. Well, I'm trying to remember, what was the first one, though? The one before, the very first one before the two StubHub, was that StubHub as well? Probably here. I'm going to go, I'm going to scroll up and take a look here. Because I know the second and third. Yes, yes. The first one was also StubHub. Oh, no, sorry. That That was Ticketmaster. Okay. So we got and that, oh, that, so was from, that was the the box office then. Yeah, the that was that was the Ticketmaster site, and everything there that's in dark blue and light blue is what's available via Ticketmaster that are from resellers. That is literally every section in the fucking arena. And then the gray, I'm assuming, would be sold out. Is my guess. Yes, the the gray are either sold the gray are either sold out or not uh, available for sale. Gotcha. Because those are like the, I think that's where the boxes are. 200 sections. Oh, that would, yeah. That's where the boxes are, yeah. So literally everything there from Ticketmaster is seats that, like, every section that there are reseller seats available in, which is every section in the goddamn arena. Get the hell out of here. They're actually selling tickets for about 1500 bucks on StubHub. Dude. Scroll through. I think, well, I I didn't actually show you, like, if you look at the 4200 Yeah. The fuck? Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. What a bunch of filthy ball lickers. Uh-huh. 42. Oh my god. And so, and so mind you, so this was this was wee hours of the morning on Monday when I couldn't sleep. So this is after tickets had already gone live and quote unquote sold out and this is after god knows how many people had already gone to StubHub and other sites and bought tickets. Right. So we don't know how much the original was because the, the because the whole argument was that the fucking basement goblins were sitting there going, all y'all are saying that the bots bought it. It's not that many. I actually got in an argument with a fucking goblin about this shit. And I'm like, dude, like there's articles already saying that scalpers are selling for exorbitant prices and that they, uh, the pre-sale 
they released 80% of the tickets for the fucking arena on the pre-sale, which is the dumbest thing in the world. And it was almost all bought up by bots. And they're like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And I'm like, so I was like, you know something? I'm going to actually sit here and I'm going to count. So I went to six fucking reseller sites, the top six on Google. And that's not counting like fucking Johnny Torres used to work for a ticket reseller here in Connecticut. I forget the name of it, but I know that like they're a national brand that doesn't rank in like the top 10, but they still sell them and shit. So there's also, there's still other reseller agencies out there that I didn't even touch that I didn't even touch. And just as of Sunday night, there were through ticket reselling agencies for this quote unquote sold out show in a 14,000 seat setup. What's that number, Brian? 6,700. 6,783 seats. Mm-hmm. That's almost half the arena. That is pathetic. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I have two, I have two parts of this that I want to go into about resellers and how fucking basement goblins don't understand business. First part. Is well, it doesn't matter because AEW already got the money, and a reseller wouldn't buy the tickets unless they knew they were gonna. No, 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 you don't seem to understand. Resellers make their money on writing off what they don't sell at the end of the year. That's how capitalism works, that's how tax code works. They bought up all these tickets because if they don't fucking sell them, guess what? They can write them off. This is the same, this is the same arena where I pointed out just shy of a year ago, or sorry, well, back in August. That the day of the rampage in fucking Chicago where Punk was set to fucking return, there were still hundreds of tickets on sale for the United Center through StubHub for $2. Because they were trying to cut their losses. And you need to realize something is that they already got their money. No, no, they didn't. Because you see, the thing is, if you held an event like this, and it's supposed to be sold out, but it's only half full. The arena themselves have to employ X amount of people to cover things for that day. Security, custodial, concessions, ticket counter. All that stuff. That's money they have to pay people. If you hold an event and it's only half full, the arena is going to seriously reconsider having Okay, yeah, the seat the seat has been sold, but if it's empty, that's someone that's not sitting in their seat that is there to buy merchandise, concessions, all that stuff, because that's where the arena makes their money. The arena's not making any money on this. They are not going to have the company back. And that's what you, that that that's the that's that's the big factor that people don't seem to realize. You can't By just way, go, oh your- yeah. I'm looking at just to kind of give a comparison here. So I just pulled up SeatGeek on my phone and I'm taking a look uh-huh. at comparable ish second row floor one, which is directly across from Hardcam, I believe. On mm-hmm. SeatGeek. On SeatGeek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About. Over fifteen hundred, including fees per ticket. Mm-hmm. Now, so let's just hypothetically say you're getting a pair of tickets because 
if you're getting a ticket just by yourself, then you're sad. I'm not even gonna say it. I'm, yeah, thank you. Hypothetically, um, <laughs> if you're going, if you're going to go second row, hard cam side, um, because you really want to show off your signs. Yay, I'm here. I'm fucking here. Yay. Um, mm. you're looking at through Seeky, looking at like thirty-one hundred roughly, plus any extra taxes that might not be consumed yeah. already in this. If you buy those seats, because they're still available on Ticketmaster, right off the AEW website. Mm-hmm. Before fees, you're looking at twenty two fifty per ticket. Mm-hmm. But they're but they're, they're 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 sold out, so there can't be any on AEW's site. What are you talking about? So after fees, you're looking at. Uh, uh, yeah, you're looking at over $5,500. Uh-huh. This ain't the fucking Super Bowl. This is a glorified New Japan Strong Show. So, that was the first facet, was talking about the business model of how the arena is going to lose money on this if those seats aren't full. And that could cause the company to not be allowed to run there again. Here's the other part I want to talk about because people are like, look how fast they sold out. They should run a stadium show. <laughs> really? 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 Because um, here's where I'm going to talk once again about how people don't want to fucking admit this shit, but fucking there's been episodes of Dynamite in various cities where they have crunched everyone over to the side opposite hard cam and the side behind the camera is fucking empty or the top tiers are fucking blacked out. And people keep saying, oh, WWE does that too. Um, If you haven't noticed, WWE purposely has been giving full arena shots of every show they're at. The fucking backlash started off with a full on aerial fucking not aerial, but overhead shot of the dunk that was packed. I was at the Excel Center last night. It was damn near sold out. There was probably a smattering of empty seats here and there, but God knows they could have been moved over to handicap accessible. It was so for all intents and purposes, it was probably a fucking sellout. So you're talking about a, a, a company that boasts their biggest and I don't even fucking bring up Arthur Ashe to me because it's already been proven that Arthur Ashe was a fucking farce and that while they say they sold 22,000 tickets, they only sold about 10,000. You're talking about a place that, or not 10,015, I think, whatever. You're talking about a company that boasts like their king should have fucked Mountain when they draw 12,000 people to an arena or 14,000. That doesn't translate to a stadium. And just because you seem to think that, oh my God, because this is groundbreaking, blah, 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 blah. No, no, it's fucking not. No, it's not. Because if you try to put that on a fucking stadium, on a fucking football stadium, you wouldn't be able to fill the field around the fucking ring, let alone starting to go up into the seats. And you know why I know this? I mean, just based on visuals, but um, I'm, I, uh, there's there's this one thing that I that it keeps I keep forgetting about that that, that keeps uh, not not I keep forgetting about, but the internet keeps forgetting about is that oh what what the fuck is it? what the fuck. 
What, what was I going to say? The cons own a fucking football stadium. If they could really fucking do it, they would move the fucking ring over into the goddamn Jaguar Stadium instead of in Daly's place, which is connected to it. They have a stadium at their disposable fucking 365 fucking days a year. Okay, we'll cut back fucking football season. But still, at this point in time, preseason has not begun yet. They could very well, if they fucking wanted to, they could have held Forbidden Door in Jacksonville Stadium. You know why they're not? Because they know they'd be fucking embarrassed. Fucking morons. You cannot give me the they could sell out a stadium fucking argument when the guys who own the fucking company own a fucking stadium and they won't put it in there. As it is, they have trouble filling Daly's place. But hey, what do I know? I got to ask you some hypothetical questions. Mm-hmm. Because let's just call it as it is. AEW, mm-hmm. as I've been saying before, mm-hmm. is uh, uh, an indie wrestling company with endless pockets and happens to have a TV contract. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Let me bring up some past companies that are no longer in business and ask you a question related to, all, to them. Sure. Even with even with the immense draw they had in Fritz von Erich and then eventually his sons, how long did it take for world-class championship wrestling to eventually run a stadium show in their existence? Oh, geez. Let's see here. From the time, let's see, because Fritz became started getting the book in world class in the late sixties, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the mid eighties, so you're talking like between fifteen and twenty years. And even that, that was like a showcase show that was involved the NWA. And it was because somebody died. If you recall, yeah, that too. That too, yeah. The um, Eric Parade of Champions, yeah. The American Wrestling Alliance, or excuse me, American Wrestling <laughs> Association. <laughs> Wally Carbo, Vern Gagne. Uh Okay. Wally. So Wally and Vern basically bought up that shit in 1960. Mm -hmm. What was basically Chicago-based wrestling. How long did it take Mm -hmm. for them to even run a show beyond an average or size arena? That was the 80s as well. So that was 20 years or so. Bachwinkle and Hogan, that was 83. Mm-hmm. What the fuck would make anybody think that in three years of existence they can do what those organizations couldn't do until year 15, year 20, year 25? Be- because WrestleMania 3 was held in a football stadium, and that, that means wrestling had only been around for three years, right? The WWF existed in the <laughs> 40s, motherfuckers. <laughs> I know that I know this. I know, but I'm answering in disgust to the people you're acting as. <laughs> <sighs> now I need to bring up something that I already knew about, and then you sent me a picture about it. 
Fat. And I got now I gotta bring it up. So for whatever reason, Swerve decided it was a good idea to have his Swerve City podcast have Tony <laughs> Khan as a guest. And I got some quotes here. When asked about it being if it was hard to manage a large roster like AEW has. <laughs> Quote, I think a big thing is right now we have so many great stars and there's only three hours of TV time in AEW. So it's a challenge, but I think we use other great outlets at our disposal like AEW Dark and AEW Elevation, which are great shows. So he even admitted that the YouTube shows are not real TV. And that his roster's too big. Continuing, quote, we've seen a lot of great wrestlers come to TV and they started on AEW Dark and they weren't in prominent winning positions. We've seen people like Max Caster, Will Hobbs, and Anthony Bowens. And they he talked gloriously about Bowens and Caster being a tag team. So AEW Dark and Elevation have given us an outlet to grow, but really with three hours of TV and so many great stars in this roster, it is a challenge. Stop fucking signing people. Now, um, Tony's saying he feels a fancy to believe in the company for it to succeed. Quote, in creating AEW, one thing I really believe, and it was part of my business plan for AEW, as a wrestling fan, you really need to not only believe in the star wrestlers, most importantly of all, the great wrestling and great wrestlers that you're going to get from the company. But you need to believe in the company that it has a chance, like, like that it's a big legitimate thing like around the world. Was that even fucking English? No. That's cocaine knees. Then Swerve asks talent-specific questions. You ready for this? Oh, boy. One talent he was asked about was Ty Conti. Oh, God. Quote, when she came in, she was great. I thought when she was in NXT, she seemed like somebody that had a ton of potential. <laughs> but she didn't get nearly as far in NXT. She never really got all that TV time. Since coming to AEW, she's had great matches. <laughs> Obviously, her presentation has changed, and now it's continued to evolve with Sammy. They've really found something special on and off screen, and I'm really happy for them. Um, I was really happy for them, so maybe I misread how happy the fans would be for them. So I think I've I've corrected that. I like Sammy. I like Ty. The fans like Sammy. No, they don't. The fans like Ty. No, they don't. No. I like Sammy and Ty no. together. The fans do not, and that's where we differentiate. So I've come to accept that. No. Notice how he forgets about her getting her promo advice from a nine-year-old. He also was asked to comment on the acclaimed. <sighs> Quote, I saw Max doing a rap on Twitter and he didn't do it as an entrance, but it was clearly what he should be doing as the entrance every time. It was awesome. Max has got such a great thing. Anthony is one of the most improved wrestlers in the world, even though he's out with a knee injury. They were on fire. Everybody wanted to lock up with them and see if it was true. Not true. Should I find my old DMs of the acclaimed messaging me every fucking month looking for bookings? I... I've got nothing. I, I, I've, I, oh my God. <sighs> Tony. You're not going to read the one about we don't train new people? 
Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Quote, we typically don't take people in who don't have a lot of prior wrestling experience. We don't train wrestlers from scratch. It's a different business model. There are a lot of great people, but for us, we kind of picked our spots when it comes to that thing because we're not as much about centralized training all week long. <laughs> and then I do remember also in that quote, I don't have the exact, the rest of that exact quote. He did specifically reference Jade Cargill and Satnam Singh yeah. as rare, ex rare examples of them picking up people with athletic talent, both of them from basketball, by the way, and them being projects to work on. What about Brock Anderson and Hook? Tony. Some. <laughs> Tony, do, do yourself a favor. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Don't do interviews. Don't do podcasts. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Go snort some more lines and blow. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I I just want to point out something. Um, I because the, there was the other thing going around about supposed WWE main roster talents who wanted to transition over to AEW and they were told to hold off until 2024 when more money opens up because they weren't they can't sign any more people yet. Tony's still introducing new people every week. He, he just fucking signed Tony Deppin. Like, so what the fuck? Lick my balls. And I'm sure he's going to sign at least one or two of the NXT releases. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. One last note. Tony, your Wednesday show pulled in its lowest rating in 12 months this week. <laughs> Suck my dick. And his Friday show pulled in its lowest rating. Ever. 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 292. Forever. Forever. Can't Anyways. argue about the time slot. <laughs> Can't argue numbers because they're facts. Anyways, <laughs> we move on to WWE television. We begin with NXT. Bitches. Spring breaking. Um... Grimes successfully retains North American title over Solo and Carmelo. Expected. Very good match, though. The only good match. That's what it was. Uh, then we had the pre-tape with Toxic Attraction, Wendy Chu at the tanning, Wendy Chu at the tanning bed. There we go. Um, yeah, okay. She turned up the temperature and the timing on Ugh. Mandy Rose. She gets a sunburn, whatever. Uh, Nathan Frazier's a backstage interview. Worst fake sunburn ever. Yeah. Nathan Frazier's a backstage interview with uh, Mackenzie Mitchell. Then we have Roderick Strong basically laying down the law with the creeds at Ivy Nile. Because, you know, you don't have anybody else to do it anymore. <laughs> yep. Then we have uh, now we have Duke and Indy backstage. Very awkward and weird Non unnecessary backstage segment that lasted 15 seconds, but okay. Uh, that was acknowledging the releases in a tasteful way. That was a shut the fuck up and move on. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Then we have Frazier pitting Waller. Thank God they didn't job him out. Mm. Then we get the Tony D and Santos Escobar Peace Summit. Like, oh, God, Jesus, fuck. We don't need fucking West Side Story. I'm sick of this. Sharks and the Jets call the peace. Then we had Cora J. Nikita Lines beat Natalia and Lash Legend. <clears throat> Terrible. Cora uh, J. doing that fucking senton and just completely missing the bitch and landing on her ass. I know. We got Jeff Hardy hurting people with his senton. We, we got one person Cora landing J. too hard, one person not landing people. on a ball. Yeah. Uh, then we have another pre-tape with Gigi, JC, Wendy, and Roxanne Perez. Wendy and Roxanne stealing keys. Shoot, I, I can't even. Uh, the Viking Raiders do the job to the Creeds thanks to Roddy interfering and I turned it outside. Off. And I turned it off. Um, Magano kidnaps AJ Galante. Oh, I missed that. Oh, gee, what a fucking tragedy. And then Braun retains the NXT title over Joe Gacy. And then we went off the air with two druids with red face coverings appearing on the apron behind Braun. Yeah, so fuck that. Because apparently they're going to continue on that fucking shit even without Harland. And I could give a fuck. Um, yeah, there's not you, really much for me to follow up on NXT. You jobbed out the fucking Viking Raiders. I turned it off. Like, no. You just right. took the most dominant tag team in NXT history. And job them mm. out to the greenest of the green. Mm. I'd argue AOP was slightly more dominant than them in NXT. Raiders never got pinned for the titles. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Three most dominant tag teams in NXT history have to be those two in the Ascension, I'd assume, right? Absolutely. Um, real quick NXT notes to bring up. Number one, Candice LeRae contract has expired. Mm -hmm. No talk of it being renewed or he or her asking for renewal. So it sounds like she's going to go the way of the dodo bird like Johnny has. She's going to stay home and be a mom. And I think Johnny's going to return to WWE come the end of the summer. Feasible. That's, that's an option. Uh, also one other quick thing, Malcolm Bivens. It's it's so weird, so weird. So the week before, dude is getting released by WWE just in time before he has a stand-up comedy thing the following week where he could just openly speak his mind to the public and not give a fuck. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, Malcolm addressed his departure in like a three-minute bit in the middle of that stand-up. Um, essentially, here here's here's the, the facts. Mm -hmm. Was he offered a contract? Excuse me. His contract expired in February? Yes. Was he offered a new contract? Yes. Was he ever offered the opportunity to manage Omos? No. no. Um, was the main roster discussed with him? I believe he said yes. Yeah. But basically, the reason he had was he didn't want to... He wasn't, he wasn't happy to begin with happy with the anymore. lifestyle he had being in NXT, and he couldn't imagine himself being happier working more dates on the road on the main roster. So he basically right. said, fuck this game, and right. said, I'm, I'm good, and didn't take an extension. So that ends yeah. that. Stokes time. is basically done with the biz. Yeah. Which is sad, but oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, God. I don't even want to. I might even know. What? 
But I'm going to address who just uh, joined what? the background. This. JJ, oh. I love you. JJ. JJ. But we love JJ. We're here for him. Look at God's wishes he was at vape time. Gazoo and Mixer Spell Look are going to have It's your fan club, man. You got fans in Godzilla Boy. Media. <laughs> you got friends. One that decided to. He's just get happy I gave the channel a plug on my rant the other day. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> one, one guy got drunk off his ass after his arena football team won, and the other was too busy babysitting his broadcast partner's baby all all day every day. It's okay. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah. So. Hi guys. <laughs> um, all right. So SmackDown. Uh, to set up uh, WrestleMania Backlash, really just a whole lot of nothing. Charlotte cuts a promo. Ronda attacks Charlotte. Whatever. Shayna Baszler pins Sasha. Who cares? Usos Bexy. Just not a whole lot of anything, honestly. Yeah. Um, aside from Gunta beating up Drew Gulak, I kind of laughed at that, honestly. Yeah. Um. Butch came back during the tables match to help Sheamus and Ridge beat New Day. Mm. Welcome back, Pete. Don't know why he disappeared in the first place, but welcome turned back. On them. He was under the ring the whole time. Yeah, I know. He's in a hornswoggle. Uh, Sammy tries to be a rat, giving the scoop on shit being said about Bloodline to Heyman. And then mm. he he ends up losing. He ends up being Shinsuke by countout. Um, but here's 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 the only real thing I want to discuss real quick out of SmackDown, and that crosses over into Raw. Mm-hmm. So they played the last vignette of Lacey Evans on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then they had Samantha Irvin, the ring announcer for SmackDown, give mm-hmm. this introduction and asking for the proper respect to be shown, and then Lacey Evans comes out. Mm-hmm. Acting all baby and shit. So mm-hmm. essentially, the formula they seem to be using almost kind of mirrored the way they brought in Kurt Angle in 99, correct? 99, right? Yeah, almost. However, um, last night at the Raw taping, they played an extended vignette during like one of the breaks, like when, mm-hmm. you know, like there was probably commercials going on and it was just ultra sympathy baby face. And so Lacey's getting moved to raw, but correct. Like, Oh no, like, they, they but, aired like, it. They aired that on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause the whole fucking the arena was che- the whole arena, except for me and the dude I was with were cheering for it. And I was just like, get this bitch off my TV. But so they went from her. Yeah. They went for being on SmackDown and even referencing going up to the SmackDown woman's title mm-hmm. and placating as a Kurt Angle style booked heel for her return mm-hmm. to now moving her to Raw mm-hmm. and sticking with ultra sympathy babyface. Because they don't know what I'm- the fuck to do. And I, I was sitting there talking to my buddy last night. I was like, if they had used these vignettes for her right from the beginning, like, and had her come into the company this way, right, she, she might have gotten over better. Yes. She might she might have gotten over better. But having her be the fucking Liberty Bell ripoff, like 
for however long that she was on the main roster and then to just do this now because she's coming back after being pregnant. Like, no, like people still remember what she was a year ago. Right. Like you can't, you can't hard reboot someone like this without like it's yes. People have shorter attention spans nowadays, but not when it's someone that was on the fucking main roster. And also right. apparently her fucking dad was Moondog Maximus <laughs> by the look of those pictures. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Her dad was Sailor White? The fuck did this happen? Yeah, last time Lacey Evans was on TV, she was fucking around with Ric Flair. Exactly. Maybe literally. I don't know. <laughs> he is getting divorced. I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> I have an update and then a question. Okay. Update. Big E gave an update on his injury status mm-hmm. over the weekend. Yeah. Um, basically doctors said that his C1 vertebrae is not healing optimally. So he's got to stay in the neck brace another four to six weeks and then they'll check on him again. Mm -hmm. Um, the hope continues to be that they will avoid fusion surgery, but again, it all depends on how the C1 heals or doesn't heal in the coming weeks. So, um, as of right now, let's, let's, let's be optimistic and say, In four to six weeks, he gets the A-OK to get out of the brace. Four yeah. to six weeks puts him at end of June, so basically right before Money in the Bank. So I would assume mm-hmm. you're probably not going to see him, I'd say, till after SummerSlam. Even if, even if he doesn't need surgery, they're going to keep him off TV until January minimum. Just to be safe. I would tend to agree. Only because it's the neck. Yeah. And if there's if there's one part of the body WWE has been infamous for having fate for having big time personalities suffer injuries to, it's their neck for whatever fucking reason. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. I don't know why. It just is. Yeah. Um, although this time it wasn't really this time you could actually pinpoint someone being at fault for the injury. Uh-huh. Like the, there's there's out of all the injuries in the world, there's only two times we could really say, okay, that's their fault. All right. Like you can kind of say that about Owen with Stone Cold in '97, and then there's Ridge and fucking mm-hmm. uh, Biggie. Biggie. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is the question I have, and then we'll move on to WrestleMania Backlash and to Raw. Because mm-hmm. I got thinking about this when I was watching Back SmackDown over the weekend. Okay. I think I could see one, but not the other. So here's the question. Mm -hmm. Is there any chance Gunta gets a legitimate opportunity at holding the Intercontinental or Universal title? Intercontinental, yes. Universal, not sure yet. Universal, to me, is is an open-ended answer. I feel like it depends how much longer they go with Roman. Um. But I do agree with you with the IC. I I feel like that's kind of what they're grooming him for as it is right now. I feel like they're kind of grooming him to be the guy that takes over from Ricochet and makes that... Not that it doesn't mean anything, but, like, I mean, really... Yeah. Like, we all love Ricochet and his talent, but, like... Mm. Something just doesn't do it for me. All right? (laughs) Um... But yeah, that, that at least that's my thought. Uh, the other end of it, by the way, how long till we get to see uh, Kaiser 
actually get in the ring? Or do they not bother? Oh, he'll get in the ring eventually. He's in too great a shape, and he's young. Like, they're just going to save it for when they need to start building that feud for Ricochet and have Ricochet have someone helping him out and shit, and that's when we'll start doing that stuff. The other end of it, which I think would be a waste of Gunther, but could you feasibly put them in the tag team division once the Usos drop the belts at some point? Because they're not going to have the belts as long as Roman's had his belt. They're not holding it for 600 days. Let's just be real about that. I mean, yeah, maybe. Good, yeah. That's the only other thing I can really think of. Um, speaking of Roman, I just want to bring this up before we get into WrestleMania Backlash. Um, word has come out over the last few days about Roman having Roman. Roman, he's on a cell phone charge. Roman has restructured his deal to essentially reflect deal similar to what Brock Lesnar would get with. I wouldn't even say. I wouldn't even say similar to Brock. He's just not going to work house shows. Right. That's what I mean. He's would be working very specific dates, including pay per views. Right. That's not to say he's going to miss pay per views. Right. But they've structured it to a point where it's going to allow him to have some free time between now and SummerSlam. Right. And then basically between SummerSlam and the Cardiff show in September. Yeah. Right. And as it was like, they, I saw like the list. It's literally a handful of dates. It's not like he's going to miss like blocks of months on it. It's literally a couple of dates in the summer. Right. They're looking at basically eight to 10 weeks of sporadic appearances is what they're looking at. Right. Um, so now the question becomes, is he trying to do what his cousin did? No. Is this? No, he's just getting what he's fucking rightly deserves because he's been a fucking workhorse since he fucking came back. So you think this is just for time off just to relax? Yeah. I just thought I'd throw it out there because you never know. It's it's you know Roman Roman's good for the camera. You know, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's get into WrestleMania backlash. Um, I'm not gonna go through every match. I'm just gonna pinpoint certain things that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's begin with the show opener. Cody beats Seth using the tights because Seth tried using the tights beforehand. So Cody now has two wins over Seth Rollins on premium live events. Let's not say pay-per-views anymore. So obviously there's going to be a Cody Seth three, which was a given also after Raw, which we'll touch on later. Seth should have won. Here's hypothetically. Yes. Um, my assumption, the fuck was that? <laughs> what, was I? Was that a? What the fuck was that? That's just my fucking knee pad and my knee oh, brace. I, I thought it was an oven mitt. I'm like, what the fuck are you wearing an oven mitt for? Jesus Christ! Um, it's I'm, hot gonna, in the air. I'm gonna go on. So, there's two things I want to do here. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna help fantasy book. I don't mean fantasy book like as in the way people would normally fantasy book, but I'm going to be, I'm going to pretend I'm a booker and I'm going to try to book out Cody Rhodes' summer. Okay. I'm going to try to book out his next, including Cardiff. So we'll say four months for him. Before I do that, though, I need to, ta- I need to ask you. Mm-hmm. You obviously have continuous issues involving Cody. 
What are your current WWE related issues with him? Current WWE related issues? He right. completely he completely threw off the whole fucking show last night. Because um so this is what I saw in the arena versus what people saw at home. So after the attack like by Seth, right. he milked the fucking he milked this shit far too long whereas they're they're trying to hit their fucking bullet points for the fucking camera he wasted so much time at ringside getting up and milking it and like stumbling around to all the barricade to the barricade and all the fans and everything that do drop and nikki's fucking entrance got cut short because literally it was like graphic comes up nope it's down and we're fucking pitch black again and then come back and then what happened was because he was still coming up back the back up the fucking aisle when they were there so they were there for their mark and he wasn't in the back yet and he still took for fucking ever to get there so what happens boom their match comes they're already in the ring that fucked the thing up the fucking end segment to what their shit had to get get, get cut short and no one understood what was going on that was that was cut down to three seconds and then it was just a domino effect to the part where becky and bianca was four uh, sorry Be uh, sorry bianca and oscar was four fucking minutes long and they had to rush to the fucking end because they were about to go off the air. So because of Cody, Cody taking too long in his segment, he fucked up the flow of the entire rest. I'm sorry, but I, I'm like, I agree with Vince testing him on putting him fucking on the certain points to see where the Nielsen rating hits. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but because because I noticed you messaged me and said they keep pushing Cody at the 10 o'clock hour, Cody at the 10 o'clock hour. Cody came out at 9.48. It was literally 12 minutes from the time Cody came out to the time the match started. That's a big waste of fucking time. You're muted. I was trying to tell you not his fault. Sorry. Not his fault for the beforehand was his fault for the afterward. Well, I'm talking about the 12 minute thing. That's not his fault. Yeah, that's not his fault. But the whole milking the shit afterwards and fucking fucking up everyone else's timing. Well, well, I will say fault. this. I will say this. Mm -hmm. None of that was on TV. They didn't show Dewdrop or Nikki's entrances at all on TV. Yeah, because they had to cut it. Um. So here's my. Here's my question before I get into that fancy booking. Okay. This is not me trying to compare careers here. I'm just mm -hmm. talking about the way being these being booked, the way the presentation of him, the fan reaction. Is this and I don't want you to react the way I think you're going to react. Just take what I'm saying for face value. Okay. Is Cody getting a John Cena treatment experiment? No. Because he's front and center every week. He's For lack of a better phrase, he's being forced onto people. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like that was kind of the method they used, at least at one point, with John Cena. So here's the staunch difference. Cena was getting forced at times, but that's because Cena had a track record. He was selling merch. He was showing good in the in the focus group numbers of children. So they kept shoving him and they kept shoving him. The difference with Cody is Cody is they are, they know what they, they know what they paid for. And now they're really testing to see if the investment is worth it. So they're putting him at all the prominent times to see if it's worth continuing on past a couple of months. Because if he's not showing that groundswell, like obviously, yeah, he gets the big pop right away. But you need to see if it continues on that and if it grows or if it starts diminishing. So that's what they're doing with Cody. They're, test- they're, they're testing to make sure that their investment's worth it. And I'm going to tell you, it's like as just a business person in the long run, it's not going to because Cody is not. Cody's a main eventer in the Indies. Cody is not a main eventer in the big league. Okay. All right. So let me hop around here. Let me okay. do this fancy booking for Cody that I have. Okay. And the main the main things I'm going to focus on are the four premium live events that are on the schedule for WWE. You have Hell in a Cell June 5th in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Money in the Bank in Vegas July 2nd. Mm-hmm. SummerSlam in Nashville the end of July. Mm-hmm. And then what they've named Clash at the Castle, which is this, the event they're going to do in Cardiff, Wales. Mm-hmm. The way booking is going right now, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume they're going to do Cody Seth 3 inside Hell in a Cell. That's my guess. Because the only other thing on Raw I can think of right now that they could possibly put inside Hell in a Cell because they've already booked a steel cage match for fucking Omos and Lashley next week on Raw, which Mm -hmm. is fucking ridiculous, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I think you could possibly put inside Hell in a Cell would be your first ever... Well, no, it wouldn't be the first ever because there was a tag team match inside Hell in a Cell once before. But you could do your first, like, almost kind of War Games-esque match. But it wouldn't be war games. You just straight up have them. I think if you build the right team on the other side, which I feel like you have right now with Finn, AJ, Liv, you could hypothetically do a six-man Hell in a Cell with Judgment Day versus AJ, Finn, and Liv. Do I? I just feel like Cody Seth is the more marquee match to put in Hell in a Cell over Judgment Day and Finn, AJ, Liv. So I feel like that's the direction they would go. So I don't see, I don't see um, Seth and Cody being inside the cell. I see it being at the pay-per-view, but I don't see it being a cell match. Um, It's been too quick of a, too, too quick of a build. And the fact that Seth's already lost two, two matches, like it wouldn't matter. So they're, they'll have a match of some sort, but it won't be in the cell. I believe the cell match, I believe they'll do the tag title unification inside the cell. Um, either that or they're going to do Randy and and Roman inside the cell. You mean Drew and Roman? Randy and Roman in the cell. Why Randy? They're going to hold off after Drew. Because what's going to happen is... Titles... 
Randy is white hot right now with the fans as a baby face. They're going to put him in there with Roman at some point during the summer. They're going to. Um, the Edge, AJ, the, the the whole Judgment Day, yada, yada thing, that needs more time to play out, and I don't think Liv's going to be part of it. I think they, I think Liv was, per, was taken off of TV last night. I think if they're going to put a woman in that in the, on the baby face side, I think they're going to put an Alexa. Hmm. Hmm. I got to sit and think on that a little bit. Money in the bank. I'm I think Cody's in the match, but he doesn't win it. That's what I'm 50-50 on. Because mm-hmm. do you just say fuck it? Because and again, we'll circle around this in a second. We just say fuck it, just put him in Mania now by have him win it? Or do we go the old school route of close but no cigar and keep building the way you've been building Cody? Mm-hmm. I prefer option B, like you said. Mm-hmm. Particularly if they choose to take Seth all the way to SummerSlam with him, then you could have something happen with Seth in the match. Because um, I have a feeling that if they... I have a feeling that that's the main thing they're looking at is stretching Cody Seth to SummerSlam somehow. Yeah. Um. So let's just say option B. Let's say Cody gets loses because of Seth for some reason. Mm-hmm. Someone that sets up Cody Seth blow off at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Which now brings the question the whale show. Mm-hmm. I have an idea for it. Because everybody who's anybody is saying Drew and Roman at the at the show. Well, yeah, which, it's the obvious choice. Right. So that leaves Cody with an interesting option that could work. I think you could do Cody Edge at the Whale Show. I don't think they're going to go that route. I just don't know who else you. I don't know who else. I have a feeling that. I. This is my thought. I have a feeling that if they realize Cody's on a diminishing return and the way things are going, they may find a way to double turn Cody and Seth. And in that case, there's one more person that's coming back this summer. Cody very well can't face Hunter anymore. But he can sure face Cena. And then see how well he hangs. Uh, Or maybe they blow off Seth and Cody early and do that at SummerSlam. Maybe. Because the thing is, Cody Cody doesn't have the book here. So if Cody gets told to turn heel, he has to. There's a lot of open... There's a lot of loose ends that even we can't pin down right now. Right. I don't know. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. Yeah, definitely. Uh, getting back to WrestleMania Backlash. So, interesting note. Not that it was an interesting match, but an interesting note. Um, 
Lashley's loss to Omos at Backlash. Mm-hmm. His first loss at a televised event by pin or submission since Crown Jewel last October. Yep. When he lost to Goldberg. Yep. Because day one he lost but wasn't in the decision mm-hmm. when Brock won the belt. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he never even entered the chamber match. Right. With that whole bullshit yeah. uh, pod thing that happened. Yeah. Um, I wrote here that WWE already messed up their big summer storyline, and I don't know what that was referring to. Who the fuck knows? I'm trying to remember what the fuck their big summer storyline was. Now I gotta remember the fucking match I was referring to. Um. <laughs> anyways, while I'm looking that up, I mean, it also doesn't. Yeah. So now you're sending Charlotte off to get married by having her, having get a broken radius thanks to Ronda Rousey. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I just I just say she's getting fucking married. I don't, nobody, everybody fucking knows social media. It's not a big fucking secret that she's engaged. Like not everyone does. Little kids don't, dude. What the fuck did they kill? <laughs> Maybe it was Rhonda Charlotte I was referring to. I don't remember because Maybe. Right. Edge beating AJ didn't Yeah, I don't I don't know. Nothing else really yeah. I must be referring to Rhonda and Charlotte then. Which was a mm. bad note on my part. So fuck all. Uh, all right, we mm. go to Raw last night. RK Bro opens with a ring promo about wanting to unify the titles. Profits come out because they have a title shot that night. Say, whoa, not so fast. And RK Bro fucking wins anyway. Dude, they it's time to flip the profit seal. That crowd, that crowd was not liking Montez Ford. Like it is time to flip them heel. Because Montez is good at what he does. That's why. Yeah. My buddy and um, I also agreed that Montez needs to break out in the singles and do like a Louis Farrakhan gimmick. Correct. <laughs> uh, question, as an observer in the audience, how'd you feel about them doing the whole Gene Okerlund stage interview? I theory? thought it was amazing. I saw, I turned, I, I was like, of it. exactly. That's, that I was just like, they're doing the Okerlund spot. And like the thing, that crew is so fucking quick. Like they, they, cause that, that, that was not there. And then it was there and then it wasn't there again. And like, and it's, and plus that's just, that's another way of just showing like, look, we're going to show you from another angle that this fucking arena is full. Cause if you remember back in the day that the Oakland stage there is also where they would show um, like the, the announcers. And a lot of times you could tell it was right. a green screen. Right. Like you could tell, yep, yeah, but that was, that was live. Yeah. Uh, then we had Judgment Day do an in-ring promo. Edge stole my heart when he used the phrase keyboard warriors. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wanted to jump through the TV screen and hug him, even though he had a haircut that kind of resembles mine now. Yeah, Edge cut his hair. Uh, Rhea spoke her first words since becoming a new member. Rhea beats Liv. Mm-hmm. Then Finn and AJ come out because Finn was facing Damien. Finn yeah. wins by DQ. Yeah. Then Judgment Day lays out Finn and AJ, and that yeah. ends the segment. That was like the the entire Judgment Day fucking part. That was like forty five minutes of TV. Yeah, that was like four or five segments. That was yeah, long. yeah. Which I think is good because I feel like that's one of the strongest things they have going on Raw right now. Absolutely. 
um, especially now that you've included re and now you've added an extra facet right. and direction to go in with that. Right. Um, especially cause I mean, I don't think Rhea versus Bianca for the belt's been done yet. No. Yeah, no. Like that, that intrigues me because yeah. they're two strong bitches. <laughs> they, yep. Yep. They're fucking, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we had probably the worst MVP lounge I've ever seen in my life. Oh, God. I was the only thing I, I was sitting there trying to figure out what local guys were playing security. That's all I was trying to do during that. <laughs> and I couldn't even tell because literally we're in Hartford. So you would assume that any local talents they use would be from Connecticut or Mass. It was all Jersey and New York guys. Well, that's stupid. Well, that just goes to prove that maybe Connecticut doesn't have as great of schools as they think they do. Just saying. More work ethic. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... So MVP was with Omos. Then Cedric comes out trying to propose forming a tag team with Omos. Lashley comes out, lays out security, lays out Cedric, then has... Confronted by Omos, and then he beats up Cedric some more. It's just a fucking mess. Uh-huh. Uh, then they show Pierce and Sonya talking backstage. Pierce doesn't know a decision about Sonya yet. Sonya says she doesn't want to know her opponent for tonight, so then Sonya goes to the ring. Then Pierce announces that the decision's been made. Sonya's been relieved of her duties as an official, and her opponent is mm-hmm. returning Alexa Bliss. With the doll in her hand, but with her old music, I think. Yeah, it's her old music. It's she comes out looking like the goddess Alexa Bliss, but her 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 Tron was her standing in the middle, and then there was an image of Lily fading in and out behind her shoulder, like on the left and then the right. So that's they're keeping both facets of the character. Interesting. Yeah. Um, she beats Sonya, I think, within like. 90 a minute. seconds, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I literally turned away, looked back, and saw Twisted Bliss. I'm like, oh, shit, it's over. <laughs> Damn. That was quick. Um, then Ezekiel was supposed to face Ezekiel. Owens. I am Ezekiel. That, that shit was hilarious. What's your name? Ezekiel. <laughs> Fuck you, Ezekiel. Um, it's a TikTok thing. You probably don't even know what I mean. Um, that shit was, was hilarious. KO. So KO came out with a wig. Then he takes off the wig, and then him and Alpha Academy beat up Ezekiel. Great. Yeah. Which, because um, I was like, okay, so what babyface tag team is going to join Ezekiel? Because we're kind of short on babyface tag teams here. Excellent point. Yeah. It's pretty much just RK Bro now, isn't it? Yeah. Unless you're making yeah, we're, well, Viking Raiders, but they got them down in NXT. Jobbing out to Greenhorns. Um, Fucking bullshit. Uh, then we had a backstage segment with Pierce, Asuka, and Becky. Pierce saying that Asuka gets a contenders match against Bianca. Becky's bitching. Asuka calls her a crybaby. Sure. Uh, then we have Veer Mahan beating up Wardlow's doppelganger. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my- Number one, I was so happy to see Veer Mahan live. That was that was my high point of my night. <laughs> but I was because they, they they had beer come out and then the lights went out. And I'm like, there's no one else in the ring. Is he actually going to work like a like a main main roster talent? 
And then like all of a sudden we see someone in the shadows and I'm like, oh, he's working. I'm like, okay, who's it? Who is it? And the lights come on. I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I couldn't even tell that it was fucking Rex Lawless. I was like, yeah, Frank Roman. I'm like, Frank Roman. I'm like, what? That's who the fuck? And like my buddy's dying. He's like, they fucking found someone that looks like Wardlow to fucking get crushed. And I'm like, yep. I, I, I get, and the, the, the hilarious thing was the crowd. Cause it was when he, he's like, I got three triplets at home. And my buddy's like, he's got nine kids. <laughs> and, then fucking, and then the crowd was chanting, he's got triplets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was some bad English right there by the guy who said three triplets. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got triplets, but yeah, that was uh, that was Rex Lawless from uh, from fucking upstate New York getting a fucking payday. But and you can't, and the thing is, you can't even say that they were trolling AEW because, like you showed me, yeah, Rex has been looking like that for like a year or so. Exactly. So, just a coincidence, I guess. Because Rex used to look different, and then he just changed up his Much. look after he came back from injury. Because Rex used to look more like Jack Kruger, except giant. <laughs> Correct. Uh, then Cody and Theory for the U.S. title. Cody beats Theory by DQ after Rollins jumps him. Um, Rollins just beats the shit out of him. Does a stomp on the announce table. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's going to keep going. Uh, then we have Boston Glow beating Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. Pitting Nikki. Then Dewdrop basically tears Nikki a new asshole verbally after the match. From what you could kind of tell, but it was cut short. Uh, then Champa beats Mustaf- Mus- Mustafa Ali. Excuse me. Thanks. Yeah, to- that that was the other thing I wanted to bring up because, like, because remember how I said Cody kind of milked this shit and blah blah blah. He kind of took the wind in the sails out of the rest of the show because the women's tag the the women's tag match no one really cared about. This match the crowd was kind of silent, and it's like Champa was almost home for Christ's sakes. Like right. Uh, the Miz was a special guest referee, so you probably know how that went. Um, then was the Lacey Evans vignette that we referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. Then we got Lashley backstage challenging Omos to a steel cage match for Raw the following week. God help us all. The lowest rated TV match ever in a steel cage. Probably. Um, Then we get a backstage segment with Truth, Dana, Tamina, Reggie, and Tozawa. That's just a fucking mess. And then we See, got at least the... before um Raw went at least before Raw went on, um, they did some tapings for main event. So we got to see uh got to see Reggie get annihilated by Dijak. And uh actually saw a pretty athletic match between uh Apollo Cruz and Akira Tozawa. I was like, when did I get to an evolve show in 2014? Right. <laughs> uh, and then we had the abbreviated main event with Bianca and Asuka. Becky interrupts the main event, basically causes the match to get thrown out. So we're probably going to get a three-way at Hell in a Cell. Becky just being Becky, basically. Yeah, and then after um, they went off the air, the dark match was uh, Bianca and Becky title match. So, worth bringing up. Because they played a promo about this both during WrestleMania Backlash and during Raw last night. At least on TV, they did this. Yeah. Uh, no, they played it in the, the arena. Bank. Okay, so Money in the Bank is the first weekend of July. And they've changed the stakes for the Money in the Bank ladder matches. Typically, it's 
You get the briefcase that gives you an automatic title shot of your choosing wherever, whenever you want over the course of the next 12 months. Now they've changed it to where if you win that match, you now are automatically getting a main event title shot at WrestleMania. Now, is that the case? Have they fully come out and said that? Or was that just... See, this is where I'm so fucking confused. Is is that just them saying... Is that just Cody saying that? Because technically, like, if you get the title, you're going to be in the main event of Mania. It's a one... It's at least for the time being being described as a one-year experimental change. Oh, my God. That's fucking terrible. Then what the fuck's the point in the Royal Rumble? What's being discussed right now? Now, this isn't necessarily official because, again, it's it's dirt sheets. It's you know, nobody from WWE has officially said this, but the working dialogue right now is triple threat main events both nights. That's terrible. WrestleMania. That's terrible. So the person that wins the whoever wins the Rumble matches still gets in the main event. But they're not going to be singles main events. They're going to be triple threat main events. That number one, that's awful on the aspect of triple threat main event. Number two, because it's that that that's lazy. That's lazier than lazy booking. Number two, why the fuck are you going to do this? We're going to have someone win the fucking. Where you're going to have them win the shot in July, mm-hmm. and then have to wait eight fucking months. Like that's even, a long even- ass fucking time. Even beyond that, you're killing any mystique you still had left in Money in the Bank. Exactly, because the whole point of Money in the Bank was you never fucking know. Get the title, right? It's just that's terrible. That's fucking terrible. Like, like especially because it's the first year you're going to put money in the you're going to try to turn Money in the Bank into a big one of the big five, and you're doing it in a fucking football stadium. And you're just going to change the rules of it? Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Now I have a question mm-hmm. that I have to ask before we get into uh, starting to close things out here. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's comparisons that can be made here. Austin Theory's booking as Vince's hand-selected man mm-hmm. of the future mm-hmm. versus Drew McIntyre's chosen one run. Mm-hmm. Is it me, or does this have elements of that chosen one booking in it, but they're just executing it better because they learned from their mistakes with Drew? I could say, yeah, I could see that. Like little facets here and there, but they're doing a better job. Yeah, definitely. Like it was, it was just something that popped in my head when I saw a the Gene stage interview. Yep. Last night, and then the fact that just just everything, like just when you think through the whole thing with Austin, number one. Mm-hmm. Vince was a lot more hands-on and front in front of camera than he was with Drew ever. Right. Like it, it's just the, the entire execution of it, really. Um, the way they executed the WrestleMania yeah. stuff with Theory and McAfee and Vince, 
like just the whole thing just mm-hmm. it feels like it's got very much chosen one vibes to it but just again just executed on a better level because they learn from their mistakes yeah which goes to show that sometimes when what's old can be new again because it's fucking pro wrestling right. folks all right real yep. quick before we get out of here i have to bring this up i have to bring this up so i was gonna anyway so okay good Freddie Prince Jr. apparently <sighs> he's looking to start a pro wrestling promotion. And if you're watching the video feed on YouTube, you can see the tweet that I have up laying out the general details of what's been established so far from what Freddie Prince apparently I think this was like a podcast he was talking on or something about this. Yes. Um, yeah. But this is what was said. Uh, one, he's planning to start in 18 months. So, based off the timetable you're looking at, around thanks Halloween or Thanksgiving of 2023, he wants to do a two-hour show. He apparently has the money for a three-year plan, whatever the <laughs> fuck that means. He wants storylines based in reality, so he wants to reincarnate WCW in 1996. <laughs> Men and women given equal time. I can't shit on that. I really can't. Um, he wants to own the space it's filmed in. So, eventually, so basically, he wants to have a sound stage, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. He wants it to be a Screen Actors Guild show. Not happening. Good luck with that. And then he also revealed he has no TV contract yet. Well, no shit. You're 18 months out from your deadline. That's the thing. You can want a TV contract all you want. Go 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 ask EC3 and Adam Sure about getting a TV contract and how that works. Exactly. Or hell, even ask Tony Khan with his Ring of Honor product that's sitting in his pants. <laughs> um, uh, the only difference being <sighs> so here's the pro here's 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 the problem right now. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, based on all the rumors and conjecture I've been hearing, Woman of Wrestling basically shit the bed recently. Yeah, because they had a falling out with Tessa Blanchard, who was the only talent that was attached to the project. Besides AJ Lee. Who's to say what Freddie Prince Jr. would be putting together would have any kind of remote name attachment to it any better than WoW? Right. I mean, because... You're not pulling in New Japan. You're not pulling in AEW. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. you pull in MLW talent. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, your talent base is essentially going to come from MLW talents that want to work more dates and mm-hmm. indies. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that the indies are devoid of talent. There's some good talent to be found if you look in the right places. Mm hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to qualify for the level of talent necessary to bring in advertisers and willingly get yourself a TV contract. Right. And that just, it's, that's the thing is Freddie Prince thinks just because he spent some time on the creative team that he knows. And the thing is he even said, because here's the things that aren't in those bullet points that he mentioned is that, 
in order to do this, he's been boning up by listening to Cornette and Bischoff's podcast on what to do and what not to do. Okay, that's great. That That's good. However, he even said that he's not going to be the one booking it. But he doesn't know who he's going to hire as a booker. Yeah. So what this translates to me is the same thing that happened oh, about 15 years ago with Billy Corgan and AIW. Because Billy Corgan was the money mark for AIW back before he decided to be the money mark for NWA. And yeah, AIW still exists, but there's still a local indie in the Chicago Berwyn area that draws houses of 100 people. Um. Freddie needs to realize that number one, yeah, good luck getting all SAG people. Like that's that's a nightmare in and of itself. I know very, very few wrestlers that have SAG cards. Because SAG doesn't consider wrestling as itself enough. Like the people the wrestlers I know that have SAG cards either have done stunt work in movies or were transition people who went into movies after wrestling like Dwayne and Batista and Cena. And you're obviously not getting any of them. Right. Uh, like we, you can, you can get Colt Cabana and Luke Hawks. I know they have sad cards. Oh, <laughs> but it's so that, that right there is a nightmare. He, he also talked about the whole getting health benefits bullshit that the fucking cons tried to pull. And you know, that's not going to happen because if a company the size of WWE that has the resources to do it, isn't doing it, then there's no way he's going to be able to. And okay. So it's commendable that he wants to give men and women equal time. That's commendable. It's never going to happen just based on the fact of the percentage of wrestlers of, uh, that are out there uh, of male versus female. There are far less female wrestlers than there are male wrestlers. And then when you want to talk about the level of talent that can carry a show, that WWE has all the top talent. And that's the, it's like, look, you look at AEW and you look at the top of their women's division and it can't touch WWE's. It can't. No, you're right. And even WWE, their top like Becky and Charlotte are in, are are on a are on a plane of their own. And even after Becky and Charlotte, just going down to Bianca and Asuka, they're great athletes, but they're not quite the star power that Becky and Charlotte are. And then there's a drop off after that. And I, I think it was Brian Last actually said on Cornette show he was just like, why don't why don't we try to see a company like a women of wrestling, obviously, or something like that, like do an all women's product and see, let's, let's get some tests. Let's get a test audience on that to see if that's sustainable. So if, if you can do an all women's show and it can pull in ratings, then maybe you can talk about equal time. But besides that, like, it's just, it's not a fee. It's not feasible just on the numbers game alone. And I, I hate to be the one to say that, but it's just the truth. Um, I'm trying to remember. Wasn't, just, wasn't women of wrestling running... Was a woman of wrestling running the same nights as Impact at one point? They were two years ago. Pre-pandemic, they had put a they had shot a uh, handful of episodes and put them in the can, and it was a god awful show. Gotcha. It was a god awful show. Okay. And then they basically went under, 
and then they were supposed to come back with Tessa attached, and then you know the bullshit right. happened. Right. Yeah. All right. Before we say goodbye, well, first off, do you have anything else we haven't touched on yet? I don't think so. Because I have one thing. Okay. I know I'm two days early. Happy birthday! <laughs> Happy birthday! Uh, yeah. Uh, we have a birthday yep. in the house coming up, JJ. Uh, yep. Is your birthday coming up? We're recording this two days before your birthday so uh yeah happy birthday old man yeah i'm old oh shut up you're not that old life the universe and everything that's my age well well, happy birthday dude hope you enjoy it hope it's not you know hope it's enjoyable for you well we're going up to maine for a couple of days Well, well there you go good shit all right. Well, I just wanted to fit that in real quick before we, we wrap things up. Um, so, yeah. We also have something coming up next week. Oh, you know what next week oh. is, right? Well, next, our next, it's going to be episode 50. I know that. It's episode 50, but it's the one year anniversary of us starting the show. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Wow, we made it a year without killing each other? This is amazing. Um, <laughs> as I have my neighbor saying fuck you to her kid outside. That's great. Anyways, um, <laughs> welcome to Amsterdam, New York. Um, anyways, yeah. that'll wrap up episode 49 of White Heat presented by Godzilla Media, sponsored by good friends over at Mohawk Honda. Uh, don't forget, check them out MohawkHonda.com. Check them out on social media for all the inventory so you can take advantage of the Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer and maybe even just straight up trade in your current vehicle for something new or certified pre-owned. I'm Brian Katie. That's JJ Alexander. He's at JJ underscore Alexander on Twitter, mm-hmm. which I will show right there. Uh, me? It's simple. It's my name, all is one word. At Brian Katie. B-R-I-A-N-C-A-D-Y. Questions, comments, concerns, angry diatribes, and send them to brian.katie at godzillamedia.com. Yeah. So until we celebrate one year of White Heat on episode 50 of White Heat, say goodbye, JJ. Goodbye, JJ. <laughs> <laughs>